You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. I'm Jay Mack, live in sweltering St. Louis in my air-conditioned bunker. Hey, and this is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles, where the weather's always warm and the sun is always hot. Yeah, you're in a sunlit room. I'm in a, I'm in a dank, dark uh, cellar. It's my bunker, Sam. Yep, yep. We've got an incredible show. Cannot wait to get to it. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat what it is. You already know because you because you see it in the title. But I want to tell you, we're going to talk about some of the best concerts we've ever been to in our whole lives. All 45. What are you, 43 now? Um, I will be 42 next month, J-Mac. Okay, so in, in like 40-plus years of our living, we're going to give you a rundown of some of our best concerts. I'm going with five. I don't know what you're going to go with, but before we get to all the dirty details, I would just like to remind our listeners that a new episode drops every Wednesday of Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board on SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and iTunes, and as well as on Saturday at B-Side Drops, which is kind of a little morsel, a little random tidbit, random thought random bit of madness for you maybe you don't have time to listen to a 45 minute episode but you do have time trust me you do have time to listen to a five six minute clip sam tell me about the excitement that you that you get when you find out you've got tickets to a live show i get i i get pretty amped up when i find out find out i got tickets to somebody even if i don't know who it is particularly sometimes it's even more exciting to go see somebody you don't know it's totally true, J Mac. I mean, there's nothing like going to like a live performance. Um, you really don't know what you're in for. And I've seen some crazy shows, you know, and, and I was thinking, by the way, like as we were, you know, spitballing doing um, this topic uh, this week and, and planning for this episode, I was thinking about like, well, you know, it actually makes a lot of sense too. like uh, our listeners will probably remember like a few weeks ago, we did an episode all about why, you know, we want to see people go back to the movies. And I was thinking like, this is such a relevant topic. I think part of the reason I think it probably came up for us because we're excited that now that things, you know, people are getting vaccinated, things are getting spun up again, concerts are going to come back. And, you know, um, it's just such a cool thing to think about being able to stand there in an audience um, and listen to live music happen. Like it's magical, like, especially when bands don't play it the same way that's on the record, which I'm a big fan of. Yes. I know what you're talking about. I've seen some artists where they kind of veer off a little bit and it is kind of like, what are they going to do now? It's kind of an ex- exciting experience, but there's something to be said for somebody who can replicate the album. Exactly. As well. Um, I totally agree with you. Um, and I'll, that's actually one of my concerts I'll bring up where that, where that happened. But, uh, for me with live performance, why I think it's important for me as a live performer is um, there's, there's kind of this abandoned, there's kind of this abandon that happens with playing live um, for me anyway, where I kind of just get lost in the music. And there's nothing like being on stage with, you know, some other bandmates and you kind of just go with the moment. And there's, that's just something that can only happen. Uh, And I think it happens, it's been happening for years, but, now with like video cameras and cell phones and stuff, you know, those moments get caught more. But there was a time when people just kind of, it was like the legends of lore. and You know what I mean? The thrill of playing live is, it's, it's, it's terrifying and it's thrilling. Kind of the same, different sides of the same coin is you don't get a second take. What you do I, is what you do. 
And there's a certain charm to watching it, a band that's really good. Maybe, maybe you hear a bass note that goes slightly off, and you see the guys look at each other. Um, oh yeah, they're human after all. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah because I mean, you yeah. you figure for these touring bands, some. I mean, I would say most, if not all, the bands we're going to talk about probably spend hundreds of hours rehearsing these songs before they get to the stage. So they better. I mean, you're you're, you're there in front of an audience that paid money to come in and be entertained. And enjoy the music that you're there to offer, whether or not you wrote it or someone else did. They're there to do that. So, I mean, I kind of feel like you better have your shit together and, you know, try to put on the best show possible for those people. We're going to talk about, I guess we could talk about in in this list, there could be shows that we went to that went horribly wrong. I don't think we're going to be talking about that. I think we're going to be talking about shows that went incredibly well. Do you want to start first? Do you want me to start first? I think you should start first, but I, I will say this. I could probably tell you 10 to 20 shows right off the bat that I did that went horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's part of like learning it and being in the moment of the music is it, it's really, you know, it's the same thing that happens doing live theater. You just go and you don't get to roll back. You just follow through with it. And uh, there is a there's. I, I'm going to say magic again, because it seems like magic from the audience, um, but it requires a lot of discipline. And uh, it's it's a level of professionalism to, to make that stuff happen, let alone everybody behind the scenes to make that show happen for these, you know, amazingly huge shows. The roadies, the unsung oh. heroes. I think Tenacious D has a right. song called Roadie, all about the glory of the roadies. Yeah, I mean, they don't, they definitely don't get enough credit, those guys. They, all of them work so hard. So for my first concert that I went to that really blew my mind, I'm going with Tom Petty. And not because there was a crazy light show. There was a good light show. And not because there was like stage diving, but because it was a total stoner fest. But it was just a great laid back time. He played every song you wanted to hear. Running Down a Dream, Married to Jane's Last Dance, American Girl. Stevie Nicks opened and then she came out later to sing a song with him. And it was just one of those laid back where you sit in the grass... Uh, I mean, that, no, no pun intended there. <laughs> and you just let the music roll. And and as a guitar guy, I the the guitars that Tom Petty brought out were amazing. He had like five different Rickenbackers. Yeah. It was amazing. But I'm going to start with that one because that was note perfect all the way through. Dude, I don't. I there's nothing wrong with starting with the Tom Petty concert. Man. Nope. You know what I mean? Like, nope. I wish I had gotten to see him live. I actually had tickets um, and then wasn't able to go. Um, and then it ended up being his, his last tour. Um, oh man. Well, I, I heard him play a song. I tried to sneak into the Memorial day show that was at Red Rocks. I was staying in Denver at the time. Outlaw. Tried to sneak in. Yeah. And, uh, I heard a uh, forgotten man from the parking lot before the security guards turned me around. Um, <laughs> but you know, I did hear him live, but maybe that doesn't count. So Jay Mack, I got to tell you about one of the craziest shows I ever saw. Or one of the most fun things. Go for it. So, Okay, so like a, a couple years ago, this is more recent. A couple years ago, New Year's Eve, my wonderful girlfriend surprised me with tickets to Billy Joel on New Year's Eve at the Colise- at the Coliseum on Long Island, right? So this is a legendary place, first of all. Um, it's also the first time that he had done one of his New Year's Eve concerts in like 25 years. Um, so that was super cool. And he grew up like not too far from there. He was like, you know, I used to come over, uh, used to hang out right in this neighborhood. And it was an awesome show, man, because, um, you know, he played like all the songs I wanted to hear. Um, both me and my brother, we love that song, the Downeaster Alexa from Stormfront. He actually played it live at the show. Nice. Um, which was phenomenal. Um, it just, you know, he played angry young man, like everything you'd, you'd want him to play. 
But one of the coolest things, the craziest things about the show actually happened before the show actually started. So picture this. It's a cold or it's it's you know pretty cold night, New Year's Eve. Um, we got to uh, the venue and it had just started raining. Um, but the rain was like just enough rain that you would get wet and it, it was just annoying. And it was like, it wasn't cold enough to be like sleet or ice or snow, but still like bone chillingly cold. And we didn't have any umbrellas, right? So we're like, okay, let's just get out of the car and we'll just run to the front and then we'll just get inside. Well, we get up to the to the venue and realize that there's no awning to stand underneath. <laughs> so we're like standing up the rain. Right. So and there's this big, long line of people waiting to get inside um, because they had metal detectors right as you walk in and you had to go through security. Sure. So we're like, oh, my God, we're, we're just going to get soaked to the bone. This is going to be we're, this, OK. We'll roll with it. And we get up to the venue and one of the security guys um, motions for us, you know, tells us to go around the side. There's another entrance. Great. OK, maybe there'll be less people there. So we run over there. And sure enough, we can get inside. Um, there's not this, that many people at this entrance. And we can get inside, and, and there's this breezeway, uh, okay, between, like, two, you know, sets of doors. And we get in there, and there's maybe, like, ten people. Well, the thing is, there's only one metal detector in this spot, but there's probably, like, ten doors, but only one metal detector. Oh, wow. And it doesn't, it doesn't take long <laughs> for this entire breezeway to fill up with people like packed in between the doors trying to get out of the rain to where it's like an overcrowded subway car in New York city kind of a deal. Yeah. And there's just one guy with one you know, security metal detector. And there's one guy uh, running security. He's standing outside the doors and he's freaking out. Like he's <laughs> panicking because he's standing there and you hear him on his walkie talking. He's like, he's like, guys, guys, you, you got to send me some backup. You got to send me help now. This is getting out of hand. You got to send me some back. He's freaking out. And so are the people inside. Start seeing people like trying to cram in. They're like, what is this? What is? And we hear this one guy, you know, he's like being funneled through and he just yells out. He's like, we landed a man on the fucking moon in 69. <laughs> we should be able to get people through this line. And I'm like, I look at, I look at my girlfriend. I'm like, don't you worry. <laughs> Cause she's like, should we go and find out? I'm like, no, don't worry. These, these long Islanders, these New Yorkers are going to take care of this. Something's going to happen. I could just sense it in the air. Like the, 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 the energy was like pent up. And sure enough, about five minutes later, someone who's already inside the venue sees everybody crammed in and they run over and hit the crash bar on one of the oh. doors. And it's like the floodgates open, man. The doors open and everyone just starts pouring through, totally skipping the security checkpoint. And I looked at her and I was like, do you want to go? And she's like, yeah. I was like, let's do it. So we go and run through the doors <laughs> and we're, we're like running down. We're like walking fast down the hallway. And, you know, you hear someone, I'm probably incriminating myself right now by telling this story, but it's so funny because you hear like, you know, come back, come back. And I'm like, <laughs> Just keep walking. It'll be fine. I mean, it's a Billy Joel concert. No one's coming to the show to cause any trouble. They just want to have a good time, you know? And sure enough, we go in and everything's fine. And it ended up being an amazing show. But, like, that was just one of those moments that will live in infamy for me anytime I think of a live show. Well, I will say this. I've been to New York a couple of times, and they're not patient, and they don't like waiting, and they don't tolerate bullshit. People in the Midwest are laid back by comparison to the people on the <laughs> East Coast, at least in my opinion. 
Oh, it's true. You know, you totally you'd be like, you know, are you sure this is okay? Yeah. Are you, are you sure? I'm sitting, you know, but they're just like, boop, gone. Yeah. Doors open, pour out. How it was the perfect way to start that show too, because it was just like, well, okay, this is going to be a crazy night. Well, how legendary is that? We start off with Tom Petty and Billy Joel. Great opening salvo. Yeah, man. Um, so, so what else you got? Like, what's uh, what's some of your other favorite shows? I am not necessarily a huge Green Day fan. I am. A, I do like them. I saw him do the American Idiot tour, dude. I I came I came away from that show with my mind blown as to how tight that band was. Yeah. It was it was amazing. I mean, they were playing all the hits, of course. And then what was really cool was toward the end of the concert, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong pulls a kid up on stage who can play guitar. And they, I think he gives him a chord to play, and they jam a little bit. And then after he, he leaves the stage, he gives him the guitar. I think it was a Les Paul. Amazing, dude. Wow. That's pretty cool. I love it when those rockers will bring somebody up on stage from the audience. And, you know, it's pretty cool. And we saw him at the Savage Center downtown where the where the St. Louis Blues play, the hockey team. And we were actually on the floor, so we were pretty close. We could we could see the sweat. And once again, I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm a huge Green Day fan, but I came back – I came from that show converted – to just amazed at how great their live performance was. They really put on a good show, huh? Light so. show. I mean, there was no, not one wrong note. They were very animated, running around the stage. And those guys aren't young. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a that'd be a great show to be at, man. Um, you know, uh, speaking of St. Louis venues, um, one of the best shows that I ever saw, and all my friends that were there with me at the show – you know, if, if you ask them about the best show they ever been to, they might mention the show. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a stretch. But in 2010, April 2010, the dead weather came to St. Louis and they played at the pageant uh, in the loop and uh, which is not a huge venue, but it's not small either. I think it's like twenty five hundred people inside something right around that that range. And for those of you who don't know, the dead weather is kind of like a rock super group. So Jack White is in that group. You know, it's probably the biggest star there. Um, Allison Mosshart from The Kills. She was lead singer. And uh, Dean uh, Fertitta from uh, Queens of the Stone Age. He's in the band. And then also Jack Lawrence, who um, played with the Raconteurs and the Greenhorn. So these guys, like, put on an amazing show. Um, and they, they it was, like, right about the time they released their second album, I think. I'm telling you, dude, there was something about the energy in that room. Allison had everybody in the palm of her hand. Like it was like watching um, what I imagine a show, you know, in the, in the seventies would have been like, you know, seeing someone at like, you know, the Troubadour or something like that, like that kind of just charisma and star power between all of them really. And everything they did on stage and Jack White, just like, I believe he started as a drummer and he plays drums in this band. It's just incredible what he does. And there was this moment at the beginning of the show on, uh, it was 60 feet tall. Allison like stood up um, and like put one foot on, on a different monitor and she's kind of tall anyway. And just like stood up and just like belted it. And it was just like, everybody in the room was completely cast in her spell. And it was just amazing. That whole show was so phenomenal. And I got to mention, too, they do this really great uh, cover of a Bob Dylan song, New Pony. So if you've never heard that, it's kind of a deep cut. Go and check it out. It's just ruckus music. Amazing. Well, just on a side note, I was listening to uh, Dead Weather today. There was a there's like kind of like a like a Zeppelin vibe to some of the riffs that they have. Really, really dark, heavy riffs and just great, aggressive sound. It was I'm I'm. 
Um, thank you for for uh, telling me about that because I think I'm going to put that on my playlist now. Yeah, man. I mean, you really can't go wrong with the dead weather. Um, and if they ever tour again, I'm definitely going to try to see them again. I mean, they 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 do like this really aggressive uh, rock that's that comes. It's like it's more than the sum of its parts. Like really heavy rock riffs and kind of rooted almost like in Sabbath sometimes. Like yes. That one's a perfect. You know, it's like it's like dark blues. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, this next one we've both seen them live different times, and you had a different experience. I'm going to speak to my Radiohead experience. Uh, going in, this was to the this was the Hail to the Thief tour. Now, Radiohead, I did not consider to be a band. I didn't. Let's just put it this way: I didn't know how they were going to pull off their stuff live. There's a lot of sampling, a lot of loops. But from the get-go, when Tom York, the lead singer, is on stage playing with some kind of loop machine, and that the bass notes from the gloaming start hitting, uh, yeah. I was captivated because I didn't think that they were going to be that rock and roll. Oh my god, dude! Radiohead was rock and roll, and like I said, if you say great rock band, they're more of like a what would you call them? A prog band? They're almost hard to define. I totally agree. I mean, they kind of fill that space in some ways that like Pink Floyd um, would have, but then they can also be, um, you know, just a full on rock band with like the stuff from like, okay, computer and the bands. I mean, they're just incredible band. And it's, it's, it is amazing. Like it's, it's amazing what they can pull off live too. Like they have a lot of their shows out on, on YouTube. Now you can see the full performances and it's really complex. Some of the stuff they do with samplers. And I know Johnny will control drum samples with his feet while he's playing guitar. And um, Ed does a lot of the same kind of stuff using like the, the chaos machine and samplers and looping. It's, it's crazy. It was straight up rock and roll, dude. And I did not expect that. Do you want to speak to your uh, Radiohead performance? I, you felt uh, a little underwhelmed. Do you, do you not want to talk about it? No, I mean, I no, I mean, so so Radiohead is one of my all-time favorite bands, um, and and that's not in a small way. <laughs> I just think there's so much great about that band. Um, I think that I think the biggest thing about that show is that they didn't use the screens. And I was out in the lawn, so it was a little bit harder to feel connected to the show. But they still performed at an amazing scale, and uh, and it was it was you know, it was something about you know that they were it was for a good reason that like they were trying to reduce how much energy was being used to put on the live show, and they had like this LED light rig and, and all that. A friend of mine had tickets down in the main seats, and he let me go down and and sit on a couple songs at the end. And it was a totally different experience. I mean, it was insane. Saw him do Paranoid Android that way, and it was just incredible. So your seats dictated your uh, your experience, basically, because they didn't use the big screen. Yeah, and it was probably more me, you know, because I wanted to be able to see their fingers and see what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, rip off their, yeah. I've got two more. I saved the one that we saw together for last. Okay. But You have to remind me of that one. All right, well, I was fortunate enough some might say stupid or, or brave enough or crazy enough to go see Slayer for the last, I think the last two times they came through St. Louis before they retired. And that was at the pageant, the venue that you said, dude, yeah. all I can say is I actually talked my lady into going to, to one of the shows. I said, I said, I know you don't like this kind of music, but if you see one metal band in your life, you got to see Slayer. I had seen him once and that's why I told her to come. Dude, okay, Slayer fans are crazy. I think uh, Jim Brewer does a skit about it on, you can look it up on YouTube. When the lights went down and the smoke, mach smoke machine started to go, 
I felt it get hot in there. You're gonna you're gonna laugh at me. I felt I felt the temperature heat up. Then okay. the then the red lights come on. Mm-hmm. And then the the intro music comes on, and then they come out on stage like some kind of satanic wizards. Dude, I'm telling you, the 12 year old in me was going, "We're not worthy. We're not worthy." <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not for everybody. It's not for everybody. My lady had to step out at some point. She goes, "This is too intense." She's like, "This this is freaking me out a little bit." <laughs> but once again, I was fortunate enough to see him before they retired. Don't lose a step on stage. And they went out on top, brother. On top. That's awesome. Devil Horns. Yeah, they are they're a pretty incredible band, seriously. Um you know, that was like one of the things, like, you know, seeing people that have performed for a long time and done their stuff. I mean, one of the coolest shows that I ever saw like that was uh Brian Wilson. Um, this was like in 2016. He went on this tour. Um, and I had never seen Brian live, and obviously, uh, you know that's that's like seeing royalty oh yeah he went out on a tour um where they performed uh pet sounds straight through like played it played the full record live talk about like accuracy and you know and reproducing the entire record they're live that's that's what happened and it was just really uh an, an, an incredible show i mean the first part of the set they did a lot of beach boy songs actually uh al jardine was there with him um it wasn't the full beach boys um it was brian wilson's solo show but al jardine was there playing and they, they they did a bunch of stuff. They did like Heroes and Villains and Surfer Girl and all these, like just so many great songs. And then on the, they did an intermission. When they came back, they played Pet Sound straight through. Oh, my God. Dude, just so, so, such an honor <laughs> to like sit there in that arena and just kind of absorb this music as it was coming through, knowing like, you know, this is one of the greatest, you know, rock and roll dudes ever. Um, and he's so humble about it, too. Like he just gets up there. He just plays the song. That's what he cares about. He cares about connecting with the audience. I, I, I mean, I can't read his mind. That's what I think. He cares about doing the music well, making it sound great, connecting with the audience, putting on a good show for them. And it was funny. Like he gets up at the end after the amazing love and mercy closing out the show. And you just see him just kind of, you know, mosey off stage. And then, then it was over. I mean, it was just such a great moment to just be there. And everybody was connected with what was happening on stage. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. Dude, I'm so jealous. Talk about icons. Talk about somebody who wrote the book on how to be an icon. This is an honorable mention. I'm not going to go into it, but as close as I got to seeing somebody that would be legend, I guess in my mind, I never thought I'd get to see was Ringo. Ringo's a legend. He goes beyond icon. He's a legend. So I kind of put Ringo and and Brian Wilson in that same kind of category. Like that's, rarefied air i mean I guess billy joel would fall into that maybe but it's it's very few people that you can say have changed history with their with their music it's true um i i get behind that uh most definitely yeah i mean it it was pretty cool to see them do uh good vibrations live knowing how the production of that song too it just kind of like changed the way that music was being made at the time too and how expensive it was to actually get it out um but yeah man it was just it was just a ruckus good time and there was people of all ages there too which i think was just a real testament to how long lasting that music really is oh it'll be played long after we're gone yep okay for my final one that i have is one that your parents actually drove me to with you and this is the great Phil Keggy. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Phil Keggy, K E 
A-G-G-Y. Phil Kagey, an amazing guitar player. And this was a concert in a small church in Illinois. I don't know, maybe Carbondale or something. It was a small little town. I don't, I don't recall. I do remember that show now, though. I remember definitely going to that. And it was just... There it, wasn't, it was like a small audience, too. It was one of those cool, like, real um, you know, intimate shows where you kind of just, like, absorb the music while there's the songwriter. It was, almost, it was almost like a workshop. It was that intimate. And yeah, at the cool. at the time, I had, I just had started playing guitar. I guess I was this is around fifteen, sixteen, somewhere around in there. So I'd been playing guitar for about two or three years. And Phil Keggy got up on stage, and I've seen you do this, and I'm sure you you borrowed hev- heavily from Mister Phil Keggy when he's got that little loop machine on the ground, and he would play. He would like tap yeah. his guitar in a beat, record it, then play it back, then play in, play a, a rhythm section, then record that, and then play it back. It was one guy on stage in this little church. It sounded like a whole band up on stage. And he did this for like numerous, numerous songs. So not only do you have an incredible guitar player blowing your mind with the, with just the creativity coming out of his brain to his fingertips, but then he's using this little box on the floor to make himself sound like a symphony. And I know afterwards, I know this really influenced you, but I, I went home and must have played my guitar for like five hours the next day, just trying to to be my own Phil Keggy. If you like yeah. I said, I can't say enough. If you don't know who Phil Keggy is, look him up. So do you remember this concert? Oh, I definitely remember this show, man. Um Phil Keggy is he he's like one of those guys um that 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 a lot of guitar players know, right? Like I think he's at NAM just about every year demoing something. Um an amazing fingerstyle guitarist, also an amazing electric guitarist. He had a band in the uh, late 60s, early 70s called Glass Harp that toured with everybody and played Carnegie Hall, you know, toured with anybody that was anybody at the time. And and uh, and then he broke off um, and was one of the first like real um, stars in the CCM market. Um, but he like there's just something about his playing that is so unique and so original and you can hear his influences in there but he's he was able to tap into something with these live live uh, acoustic shows that people weren't really doing at the time i know for him like his um looper of choice was the jam man uh made by uh, lexicon but you gotta you gotta remember i mean it's pretty commonplace now to see artists that do like live looping this would have been like we saw him like maybe what like ninety five I think was this show if I remember right yeah nobody was doing anything like this at the time not that I was yeah. aware of no it really wasn't a thing I mean I think of like in the early two thousands there was a guy uh, Howie Day that was a singer songwriter that would do this a lot uh, Imogen Heap was another person that kind of got known for like doing this live looping um, a friend of mine uh, that everyone should check out called the the Wandering Madman. Um, look up his youtube channel this guy it, he, he went and bought a box truck and like built a little performance stage inside of his box truck that he lives in and then like drives around the country and he loops everything from drums and piano and guitar like he just builds like these amazing songs but that's like more of a recent thing phil keggy was doing this kind of stuff um when it was really a novelty um but he would do things like sing into his guitar yep because microphone inside and use that to like create a loop and and just build a whole beat. And he had like an octave pedal to play bass parts. And it was just a really dynamic performance. Um, I've seen him live a few times, actually, and, and he never disappoints. Incredible player. Incredible songwriter, too. Whereas Slayer and, and some of these other bands that we've mentioned will overwhelm you with sonics and lights and just sheer 
force of music, Phil Kagi sneaks up on you. You don't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't realize. Like I said, what would you say that church was like? Maybe two hundred people. There was not a lot of people in there. Well, I think that's probably what it was when it was full, right? For yeah. the room. I, I, in my mind, I remember there being like maybe 45, 50 people there, but maybe I'm wrong, but it was a, it was small enough um, audience that you kind of just, I think it even one point even took requests. If I remember right, it was like, Hey, was there any song that anybody wanted to hear? <laughs> That's pretty cool when you could do that kind of a thing. Yeah. And here's a little backstory. This is a little personal anecdote to make, to humanize this story a little bit. I remember you wanted his autograph really bad and I have really bad social anxiety. And I was, I, you, you stood in line and I, I was, I weaned out. I stood, I didn't want to stand by you because I was afraid to go up to him. And he was as low key and as nice as you could possibly be. But my social anxiety okay. kicked in. Whatever anxiety you have or, or may or may not have, Sam, it was, you did not let it deter you from getting that autograph. No, it's true, man. Like, you know, sometimes you just got to be like, eh, I'm just going to do this. It'll work out. And later, <laughs> and later you got a picture of him, picture with him at Old Glory Amphitheater in Six Flags, right? I think that was the first time I met him okay. actually um, was, was at that show, but yeah, he's just a, such a sweet guy. Um, incredibly proficient uh, musician and just totally approachable. Any story I've heard about him, um, you know, talking to people after a show or whatever, he sees them on the street. He always takes some time to kind of, uh, you know, listen to them, um, which is super cool because uh, he really is one of the greatest players. I mean, I mean, this guy's like played huge stages too. And to see him in a little small venue like that and just kind of like, you know, really just let the, let, let the music be the voice was, was really cool to see that way. Well, and the cool thing about him was, I don't know if every musician that had played big stadiums would be able to play a small venue and be happy with it. But he seemed just as happy playing there as I've seen him playing big stadiums. He really, really connected with the crowd. And like you said, I remember him saying, does anybody have anything they want to hear? And I was like, I, I wanted to say like Sunday's Child or something, but I was too scared. But yeah, what a, just a great experience. And it was so cool that, what was that, 30 years ago? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, thinking of shows like that too, where you can just kind of like be there with the songs. I mean, it's one of the things I really love about like singer songwriters and you know, kind of those storytellers like Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark, you know, guys like that run in those crowds, John Prine, um, Bob Dylan, of course. Um, I saw a show in St. Louis. Um, I want to say it was like 2012. I think it was like January 2012. Uh, Ryan Adams was playing at the Peabody Opera House. And it was like right after they had just reopened it. So it was really nice. And uh, actually, Jason Isbell um, was opening up for him at the time. Uh, and it was just such a cool show. I mean, like, I, I remember there being kind of some some rules, like, like the lighting was really low in the room. And we kind of had nosebleed seats. So it was a little hard to see them on stage. Um, but it was also kind of this cool environment where the music just kind of took over and i remember jason didn't play a long set he played some drive-by trucker songs and uh, a couple of his songs i think uh on the last record he had done um might have been the first 400 unit record that he did uh but that was cool and then you know ryan adams uh played <laughs> just some of his really best songs but it was just him and a guitar and he had a piano on stage and that was it. When Jason played, it was just an acoustic guitar. When Ryan played, it was just an acoustic guitar and sometimes he played piano. And uh, I think he started off with Oh My Sweet Carolina, which is really, really awesome. 
And uh, the one song that I wanted to hear him play, which is probably my favorite song by him, uh, which is called Two off of uh, Easy Tiger. He actually did that track. And that's a song that can really just stand alone um, without the full instrumentation like he did with the Cardinals. I mean, and uh, it was just so it was it was cool to be there and just kind of let it kind of just wash over you. And, and uh, I, I know for the crowd, it was kind of like one of those cool experiences, too. They didn't allow photography in there, so there wasn't really any distractions. In fact, I think they didn't even serve any alcohol at that show, which is pretty weird. Um, but just one of those like memorable classic nights of just kind of being there. And here's just we just had the have the singer and the song. And that's it. Kind of like Austin City Limits kind of a feel. It was it was really cool. I saw Ryan Adams open for Oasis, which is kind of an odd pairing. The big giant Brit rock wall of sound to Ryan Adams, which is more of a singer songwriter. But he except for the stuff that he did with like Whiskey Town or like with the Cardinals was a lot bigger. But I guess it makes sense because he did that cover of Wonderwall. He, he sang that at the show too. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think he did play it at the show. It's so different than than uh, Oasis's version too, isn't it? No, no. I mean, I know he played it at the show. Now that I think about it, because people were singing along with it. Yeah, I'll put an honorable mention in for Oasis for one of the best. I saw him three times, I believe. The thing about Oasis, I, I saw him toward the end of their career, and Liam Gallagher was having some vocal trouble, and the brothers, of course, were not speaking to each other on stage, which was really weird. But the thing that made it fun was, oddly enough, not the band so much as the crowd singing along with every line of every song. There's there's a power in that, and that kind of cut through some of the the bullshit that was going on be- between the band. Just um, to just to just to hear like twenty or fifteen or twenty thousand people singing along. This would have mm-hmm. been about two thousand six during the "Don't Believe the Truth" tour. Like I said, I wish I could have seen him during the crazy years, but frankly, I think they would have walked off stage and I probably would have hated him after that. Um, but yeah, just, <laughs> the, just the energy of the crowd. So yeah, um, you got any, any any honorable mention, Sam? No, I, I just really want to encourage people to uh, to look at what shows are coming up this year and, and get out at least, you know, see at least one show. Support those artists and uh, support those crew members and and support those venues. And let's just get this thing ramped up. I mean, there's really nothing like live music. Well said. For two tape decks and a mixing board, my name is Jay Mack. And I'm Sam Wade. Saying until next week, stay cosmic. Stay cosmic.